Blog Talk Radio. here on the East Coast, and good morning over there on the West Coast. Uh, this is Todd Waller, and uh, my uh, partner here, Mr. McClure, is uh, here with us as well. Mike, how are you doing today? Uh, actually, Todd, I'm not that great, but I, I, I don't think it makes for great radio for me to, to go into the details. But you know what? I think I'm going to. <laughs> okay. Go for it. Well, you know, it's funny because you know this show, we started it last year. The title of the mm-hmm. show is Raise the Bar Radio, and it's really all about – um, uh, raising the bar, as the name implies. In fact, Todd, I, I hate to do this to you, but could you carry the ball sure. for just a few seconds for me? Mr. Davison's calling. By all means, I appreciate that, ma'am. Thank you. Hey, and, and here's the fun part. Last year we started Raise the Bar Radio with the express purpose of uh, helping the real estate industry raise the bar of professionalism uh, for consumers throughout the entire uh, country here. Uh, so what we're what we tried to do last year is bring on folks that were uh, highly intrigued, very interested in raising the level of professionalism uh, within the real estate industry. And uh, as things have gone forward, not only did we uh, think that we kind of, you know, really talked about raising the bar, um, let's just say uh, we, we were all-encompassing, we think, with the number of guests that we had as well as the, the different perspectives on raising the bar. And then it, it also, um, we then slid into bringing some folks on board to talk about the use of technology in assisting in raising the bar um, here in the real estate industry. So uh, this show has evolved as time has gone on. And uh, what we were hoping to do today, and I think we will still be able to do it, is uh, talk with somebody who has um, – They've got their thumb, let's put it this way, on the future of uh, the real estate uh, industry, specifically when it comes to marketing and branding as well. Um, so uh, where do we stand right now? Yeah, we're good. Yep. Uh, Mark just called for the for the number. In fact, that's him right there. So I just oh, wanted to say a, a few real quick things. Am I on the air, Todd? Yes, you are. Um, I just wanted yes. to say a few quick things uh, preliminary. One is <clears> – <throat> I wanted to mention Inman Next. Inman News has come out with kind of a new channel, if you will, and we've been lucky enough to be included as one of their um, contributing bloggers, and I've now written three blog posts for them. It's very exciting. It's it's very flattering. It's quite an honor to be included, and uh, we just want to give a shout-out to Inman News and and a a thank you, a big thank you from Professional One for including us in that mix, really hoping to make a contribution to that going forward. Uh, So we're very excited about that. Next is... Uh, as many people already know, Inman Connect, Inman Real Estate Connect San Francisco is uh, next week, and uh, I look forward to, to, to meeting and running into, again, so many of the great people that we've connected with over the past couple of years in social media and real estate. So we're truly looking forward to that. And, I'm, Todd, I'm sorry that you won't be joining me this year because I know what a great time we had together last year. Hopefully you'll find your way back next year and or to New York in January. And and then I just wanted to give sort of a real brief intro to our featured guest. Uh, Most everyone listening will know of Mark Davison. He is one of the uh, founding partners of Thousand Watt Consulting. He's been on our show, I believe it's twice before. Um, As I've been very open in saying, Mark is the reason that that, uh, we're bloggers. Uh, Todd, I think I can speak for you when I say that. It all traces back for me personally to a blog post that he wrote in August of 2000, and I believe it was five. So we're now talking next month will be six years. He wrote a blog post which was called Real Estate Needs Liposuction. And we were so enamored with that that we actually asked his permission to reproduce that post in its entirety on our blog, which he was gracious enough to allow us to do. And um, we've gotten to know Mark a little bit over the past couple of years. He's without question um, one of our... I don't, I don't want to exaggerate, but I really think this is the right word for it, one of our heroes. I mean, he's just an mm-hmm. incredibly smart guy. As you just said, Todd, he has his uh, uh, his finger on the pulse of the industry. When mm-hmm. I think of people who are leading the, the thought process, you know, a literal thought leader, he's the first guy I think of. And um, mm-hmm. you know, what's even cooler about the guy is he, he's extremely modest and probably is cringing right now as I say these things. But it's just the fact as far as I'm concerned. 
And so uh, mm-hmm. without further ado, if, if Mark is there, let's bring him on and uh, get right into it. No, of course. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Blushing, blushing, blushing. Well, Mark, you know it's it is such a it is such a, a treat to have you on the show. And you know, uh, I could recall the first conversation that that I ever had with you. It was in response to an email I sent you regarding the start of this show last year. And I won't go into the details there, but I was just so impressed with what a class act you were. The fact that you took time out of your life to call me to discuss that request and. Um, you know, it sort of kick, kicked off this relationship that we've we've created. And, you know, again, just thank you for being here. We have such respect for you. And I know we speak for the preponderance of the industry when we say that you're just a – you're a rock star. You're a literal rock star. You're actually a rock star, and you're a real estate rock star. So, um, no, I'm, well, a, I'm an ex-rock star. I'm an ex-rock star. I am you, no longer – what, why don't you tell the listeners, for those of who have no idea what your background is, would you give like 60-second uh, thumbnail bio on what your background is, including your music? Oh, sure. I'm happy to. Um, although I don't really speak about it that often. Um, okay, I'm sorry. When I was when I was in – no, it's okay. When I was in college, uh, I um, was a guitar player and um, couldn't really – I couldn't master the art of playing other people's music, but I was able to – I found a niche in being able to write my own music and lyrics. Um, and I got introduced to a um, a guy whose brother was one of the founders of Harvard Lampoon, who was attending my college. And uh, he was a lyricist and uh, really prolific. And we ended up writing, um, collaborating, and formed a band. And um, back in the early 80s, late 70s, it was the late 70s, 78, 79, live music was really pretty... Uh, popular. Um, people went to bars to actually watch bands play. And um, we amassed a following almost overnight. Um, within about five shows playing in New York City, we were drawing hundreds of people. Wow. And um, in the summer of 1980, we got offered a record deal by Polydor. Um, and I didn't tell my folks, but I opted to sign it. Uh, my dad was in show business. He was actually had a management company, but I never consulted with him on the contract. So we signed the record <laughs> deal, got our advance. I left college. I went on tour, had a single out, and um, uh, that lasted about a year. I, I found myself really, you know, this is before cell phones, before Internet, before you could be every anywhere and be able to connect with everyone everywhere. Um, it was, you know, piling quarters, you know, $5, $8, $10 worth of quarters into a payphone to call home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> home being my girlfriend at the time. And uh, I remember being home. It was a Saturday night. She was at my place, and our single was being played on WNEW-FM, the big, this was the big FM station in New York City. Um, and right after that song was over, she told me that she can't do this lifestyle and that uh, we need to go our separate ways if I'm going to keep on going after that rock star dream. So that was Saturday night. Sunday was not a good day for me. <laughs> and Monday I found a suit that from my I borrowed a suit from my brother. I put it on. I went to where my girlfriend worked and I proposed to her. And uh that was the end of um that was the end of the rock star days. I went back to school, finished my degree got a job, married her. I'm still married to her. It's going to be 30 years, four kids later. So I think I made the right decision. Well, you know what? That really speaks to your character and your selflessness that you would do that because I think most people, particularly in this day and age, would would choose the dream and abandon the the stuff that really matters. And so I'm I'm really not surprised at that story at all, knowing you a little bit that I do. So we tip our hat to you with with uh, mm. even more respect on a personal level, and I, apolo- Michael, and I apologize. I'm not, I'm not so self righteous. I, I hated being on the road. I hated every single gig really? I played. I hated. Oh, I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Um, I'm not wow. comfortable in front of a crowd. I never have been. Um, I didn't like the imperfection of live performance because I am. Um, I am sort of a freak about meticulousness, so I like things to be perfect, and I, I enjoy the studio and the recording process because you could really take the time to get the sounds and the the notes and the song perfect. But live, 
there's so much room for error, <clears throat> and um, and that's part of rock and roll. I mean, you know, you listen to any good rock band, they make tons of mistakes, or any band, really, they um, they make mistakes, and either the audience doesn't hear it, or they don't care, but for me, it was like something that just would, would, would grate at me, so um, it was really more or less for my own self-preservation, I needed to get out of that crazy lifestyle. So you and Neil Young went to different camps, huh? Yeah, we went to completely different camps, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting because all of that segues perfectly into the first thing we wanted to talk to you about, and purely by accident, which is production value. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. we've had had conversations with you um, on Twitter uh, and in various other forums, and, you know, we think this is a really interesting topic. I think you do, too. And so we'd like you to, to sort of give your two cents on the issue. And I'll, I'll just set it up by saying, and again, I apologize because most people already know this, but, you know, we have two distinct, I, I think we have two distinct camps of people within our industry and perhaps in, in, in life in general. We have the high production value people who want things to be perfect like you did with your music, everything, you know, recording process, make it perfect. And then we have those who who uh, uh, sort of oppose that view and, and bring a, a vision of, you know, anything's better than nothing, just try it, just get out there and do something. It's better to do something than nothing. Mm-hmm. And so um, just give us your thoughts on production value, what your, you know, what how you think it uh, relates specifically to real estate and just any other comments you want to make that would fit under the heading of production value. So that's a big topic, and, and I think it would probably be remiss for me to um, – Approach that without first saying that I think, I think in general real estate is all about the real, the real estate conversation is always about camps. There's always a camp. There's a camp for this and a camp for that. Um, and I often found that people who attend Camp A on one topic will attend a very different Camp B and argue the other side of the coin on a different topic. So there's almost no consistency within these camps. And so I I really think that people listening should just avoid the camps and avoid the discussion because production value or value of anything is not determined by a camp. It's got to be determined by you. Like, you know, in my case, for instance, I determined that recording my music needs to be a meticulous process. Peter Gabriel spends 10 years between records to make the perfect record. Right? That doesn't mean that that's the advice he would give everybody in the world. That's just advice for him. So this is all about your work. If, if we're talking about production value, I'm assuming a video, right? Mm-hmm. If you're making video, you don't make your video based upon a camp you subscribe to or a debate that's going on on the web. You make your decision on the value of that production based upon what you want to present to the world as your signature work. Um, if you want to go low production, go low production. If that's how you want the world to view you and the work you do, go for it. Um, that's never stopped, you know, Kmart or Walmart from being very successful. They produce low production goods, um, and they have plenty of customers for it. So I don't really think, Michael, that this is a camp thing. I think this is a personal decision. Um, Making a high-production, high-quality video takes effort. It takes skill. It most likely will require outsourcing to people. So there's a big investment um, and takes time. I know when we did – so we have a video department here. Uh, Although we don't call it a video department, it's more or less – we just call ourselves filmmakers, Um, and uh, which is sort of a – I guess maybe a little aristocratic way of looking at video, but we, Joel and I both studied filmmaking and I've written screenplays. And so we sort of see the process of making video as more of a cinematic event than just turning on a camera and shooting. Um, but we did 32 videos for, we did 32 community videos for brokerage and it took about six months to produce. It was a month and a half of pre-production, scouting neighborhoods, making sure we had the perfect, um, places to shoot, scouting people who were going to be part of the video and making sure, I think we interviewed over 500 people to whittle down the right folks who would look best on camera. And then we spent about a month filming and a, the rest of the time in, in post-production. 
So that's a serious amount of time and work and energy. Now, the company we did that for is a luxury real estate company, meaning they um, they provide very high-end concierge customer services to their to their agents as well as to the consumers who um, own some very – I mean, we're talking about a market where there's a lot of 40, 30, $20 million homes. Whoa. Um, so they had no choice. They couldn't just turn on a flip cam and just shoot, you know, scratchy Blair Witch-like video. Um, they had to produce high-end. It was sort of brand-based. You couldn't call yourself luxury and high-end and then showcase crap. So, you know, long story short, long answer short, it, it's, you make the choice based upon how you want the world to um, think of you when they look at the work you do. If you create shoddy work, then you're giving out the impression that that's what you're about. And if that's what you want to do, do it. I support it 100%. If you want to do high-end work, I support that too. But is there ever, you know, and I want to, I totally appreciate everything you just said there and agree with it, uh, as I seem to always agree with whatever you say because you're just so smart. But <laughs> is there ever a circumstance, and this is a serious question, is there ever a circumstance in, in which, um, you know, low-quality, low-production-value stuff is appropriate? And let me just say a little bit more before you respond. I had a conversation with someone that you and I have talked about <clears throat> on occasion um, recently, and I I use this analogy, which is if I'm shopping for a, a, a Maserati, I'm probably going to expect high production value, you know, video or advertising or any other promotional materials, a brochure I might pick up at the dealership, right. etc. If I'm shopping for a Ford Escort, and no disrespect to Ford or to Escorts, but it's a different, you know, it's an entirely different brand, you know, category of vehicle. Do I do I do I still not expect a certain level of quality? I mean, I, I still want a nice brochure. I want to feel good about my decision because I may think that's a great car because it, it may be a great car. And so, do you see what I'm saying? Is I I, I keep I do, struggling. Yeah. I keep struggling to find the situation in which the low production value feels appropriate, and I can't find it. So, can you share your thoughts on that? I mean, do, can you think of any such circumstance? <sighs> yeah, I think. I think we have to first probably define what low production is. Um, mm -hmm. If low production is just sticking a camera on a tripod, turning it on, and letting it run for 60 seconds while you speak in it, and then take it and upload it to the web, um, I, I see no value in that whatsoever. Um, because, not to, you know, I, Michael, I, I hate when people quote themselves, you know, People do that all the time. Oh, I wrote in a blog last week, and then they quote themselves. I, I, I don't want to be guilty of doing that, but I, I think I have to do it in this case. Um, I recently just made a statement that said, if what you do a 10-year-old can do, then there's just nothing professional about it. And, and I think that's the defining line here. Um, if what you as a real estate person do... I wouldn't call it low-quality, high-quality. It's just if what you've done my 10-year-old could do in the same amount of time, then you just, you've just you put no effort into it. You've just done it because for whatever the reasons you've done it for. You felt pressure to do it. You attended a seminar and somebody sort of crammed the idea of doing something down your throat, so you just went and did it. Um, I think the only time low-production value or low-quality anything makes sense is when you're woodshedding the process. What does that you're mean? Going, you're going through the process of perfecting. You're 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 practicing, right? You're you're woodshedding. You're you're getting your chops down. So you're cutting mm -hmm. videos and you're making videos and you're sitting in your living room and you turn the camera on and you're speaking to it and you're trying to just get your video chops down. Um, I wouldn't necessarily post that stuff though, and I'd use it right. to help you learn what you're doing, but. You know, the problem is, Michael, that real estate's, you know, it's just an interesting business where um, skill sets are being stretched in many different, you know, ways because the, the, the people skill, the negotiation skill, and the love of helping people buy and sell homes and going inside homes and showing them aren't enough anymore to carry a real estate career. 
you really now need to be a marketing specialist and an advertising specialist, and you need to have a, a deeper sense of social media and how to use it to, to market yourself. And these are things that are relatively new skill sets for real estate folks. Even though socialization is part of real estate, you know, terrestrial Main Street socialization and Internet digital social media networking is a completely different they are not apples and apples. So you have agents who, and it's wonderful that you have all these agents that want to involve themselves in this process, but I think that there is clearly, I could make the case that there are speakers out there who have found a real niche making things so easy, um, making all of this hard stuff really simple, that they're building their own audience based upon selling agents sort of a fast track to things that um, they really shouldn't be. I think video or website creation or podcasting or anything that you do that becomes under the category of marketing requires skill. It requires a certain level of perfection to present you as a professional. And if what you're doing isn't, if it's something that a 10-year-old could do, then you're not helping yourself at all. You've just done an exercise, but you've not really not really helped present yourself in the way I think real estate people should be presented. Well, I think we're in a in sort of a um you know, speaking from a, a fifteen thousand square or fifteen thousand foot down or whatever the expression is perspective. I think we're kind of in the in a um a transition period, at least I I think we are going from this you know, the Blair Witch example you gave where it's just get out there and do something. I think there was a time when that was more accepted. And I think what's happening is that the the culture is becoming a little bit numb to the, the just the mass dump of that type of, of material. You know, there's just YouTube explosion, and we've all just become a little bit numb to it. And I think what allows stuff to stand out is the production quality. Um, you know, I, I know that when I look at stuff, and and you and I had a brief conversation once, and and um, I looked up this um, uh, a brand that you do work for, uh, Houlihan. What's the proper name of Houlihan? Yeah, Houlihan Lawrence. Houlihan Lawrence. You directed me to their website, and I checked it out, and I was, you know, it was it was just instant recognition that I was looking at something different. And the comments you made a few minutes ago about you know it took six months to make thirty two videos. I'm assuming you're t- you were talking about them. But, you know, it was just really well done. And, yes, I, I'm becoming a bit of a snob uh, myself, or I've been called that by some people, but I don't really care because my view is that quality is quality, period. And the stuff stood out to me, and, and when I compare it across the full range of what I see being done by brands, um, you know, I, I just I just think that we're moving in the right direction, and the efforts that you're putting out, and another that I would mention, someone I, I believe you know is um, Matthew Shadbolt of the Corcoran Group, and what they're doing is pretty high production value stuff. Um, they appear to have a video crew of some variety that that puts out you know really high quality video, and so I think we're moving in that direction, and maybe this is just a transition, and you are on the cutting edge of it. And do you think that's true, or or will the masses continue to plot ahead um, with the lower production value stuff, you think? Um, all right, so let me try to answer all that in, in, in order. Um, that was a horrific question. I want to apologize for how bad No, no, I, guess, I, got it, I got it down, though. So, so first off, let's not confuse production value with content. Um, the most important thing of all is content. If you've got great content, like a really great, piece of video, um, you could probably get by with slightly less production value. Um, conversely, if you have no content and put all your money into high-end production and create this super slick produced video, but the content's boring and lame, then you've got nothing. You're, it, the, the first thing is, is really the conceptual um, phase of your whatever you're filming, like what are you going to film? If you just point and shoot and riff, you better be really good at riffing. Otherwise, you need to be somewhat scripted. And scripted doesn't necessarily mean that every word you say is scripted, but you should have a just an, an, uh, some idea, some whiteboarded idea of what it is you're trying to say or what you're trying to film 
I know that, like we recently did for a product we're about to release, an app, we spent an entire day filming a 15, 20 second video. And you, you would have laughed if you would have, if you seen the equipment we use. We use one set of lights, one umbrella, one camera that is very affordable that anybody could buy. Um, we shot it in high def and um, utilized, we really utilized very little in terms of production equipment. But conceptually, I think we really had a good concept down, and we filmed something interesting to watch. So first and foremost, it's about that. Um, I don't believe that we're on the cutting edge of, of, of that in real estate because, because to, to create that kind of really well thought out video, it, it, it's a skill set that is not part of the realtor thing. Um, there are some realtors that, that have that ability because they've either come from a marketing background or they may just have an innate natural ability con to conceptualize. But it's like saying, you know, can, can the medical community create interesting video? I mean, these are very smart people that perform all types of wonders in the surgical room but aren't necessarily creative video uh, or makers or filmmakers. Um, I think where real estate still is is about doing as little as they can to get the sale done. That seems to be, to me, my impression of what real estate is still cutting edge on, is doing as little as possible to make the most commission, <laughs> and then you've got your outliers, those satellite folks. You know, we could, mm. we, we could name the names, you know, guys like Jay Thompson or Chris Berg and certainly Corcoran as a, as a company, um, but these are rare finds. These are the unique individuals. Um, most people are still taking, to, to real estate, cutting edge is taking pictures on their iPhone and slapping it up to Animoto and <laughs> choosing some, you know, harebrained loud rock and roll song that make watching a video on a house almost impossible. It's so grating to watch. That's what's still, I think, cutting edge. Um, you know, you know, Mark, I... I, I I have to jump in here because the, you brought up something that I have, whenever I've gotten into these discussions about uh, quality uh, or high production versus quick and dirty, I'll call them uh, video productions, I, 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 just, I have a couple of experiences doing this where I actually split test a, high produ a high pro highly produced video against what I call my quick and dirty. And my quick and dirty truly is it's me highlighting the, the, um, the nice features of a home and basically riffing, if you will, as I walk through the individual areas and highlighting those portions of the home. And, and when we did this, what we found was that the, the more visceral, visceral reaction from the buyers or the potential buyers came off of the quick and dirty video as opposed to the highly produced one. And I've never been able to put my finger on exactly why that is. But your comment about the balance between value and content, in other words, if you have a quick and dirty video with, with high um, – uh, a high amount of content, then you're probably shooting right, as opposed to yeah. low content but yeah. high production value. I I simply come back to based on that experience, and I have to revise that now in light of what you've stated because that's that's new information for me to pull in. But I always fell down on the whole thing that if it's overly produced, I think what it is is our marketing radar picks it up and automatically shunts it, if you will, from our, our, our consciousness and says, well, this is highly produced. It's, it's obviously advertising, so I'm just not going to pay attention to it. Whoever would say that or think that is boneheaded mm -hmm. because everything is highly <laughs> produced. I mean, look at, Mac, look at Apple sales. Everything Apple yep. do, does is super slick. Everything, yep. everything that we're – Listen, we cannot compare the marketing of high-priced ticket items like homes worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and a kid on a skateboard, you know, just <laughs> filming himself skating. And right. I've even noticed, because I have two sons that are avid skaters. Um, one of them, my 10-year-old, is actually starting his own skateboard company. And these guys, they know everything there is to know about skateboards. There's a company called Barracks, the Barracks. They have a whole video channel on YouTube, and if you watch the Barracks video, it is all high-production skate video. Um, it, but it's all about the content. So to me, high-production is about the edits. It's about lighting. 
It's about the music you choose that enhance the experience of watching the video. Um, that doesn't automatically say uh, Hollywood or slick or turn off. It's all built to production to me means making it super palatable to watch. And it begins well, with the content. And, and I think yeah, and to, to, to go along, to go along those lines, it's, it's, uh, super palatable to your market that you're aiming at. So just as you've talked, Mark, about um, the production quality for homes in the 20 to $30 million range, there's no question in my mind that you have to have that level of production that a purchaser or a seller of a home in that price range would expect. There's no question about a that. Seller. That's the whole ticket there, Todd. Um, mm-hmm. You know, th- these videos that Houlihan Lawrence made, if you notice, they're not selling anything other than the community. They're letting the community come to life. Um, this right. is a pure brand play, but Westchester right. would not have embraced these videos if they were grainy, scratchy, and like Cloverfield like in production. Um, <laughs> as a result of those videos, sellers came out of the woodwork wanting Houlihan yep. Lawrence to, to mm-hmm. represent their properties. So, Again, it's about also production is also about understanding who, you, as you mentioned, who your target audience is and what your intention is here. And I think that there are, listen, there are people who are speaking and educating on this topic who have no film background, who have no marketing background. Um, owning a camera does not make you a video expert. Owning a cell phone does not make you an expert on mobile technology. I think we sometimes blur these lines in real estate and assign expertise to people who have an opinion versus, you know, sort of a schooled and experiential background in in not just the, the art of shooting video, but the purpose of it, which is to market something. Um, right. Yeah, and, and also, I'm sorry to interrupt, Mark, but I just wanted to say for the record that I know I already said this, but I want to say it again. I just can't think of a situation where uh, low production value fits any intended target market. And, and I'm, re- I'm responding to what you said, Todd, specifically about, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, for the high end, definitely want high production. But I, but I, I just want to keep repeating. I just can't yeah. picture the market where the low production value f- fits. And secondly, I want to say that the logo that your son designed, Mark, for his apparent company that he's creating at age whatever the frick he is, um, was was exceptional, and the comment thread that followed that was mind blowing. I can still I could draw it for you. I remember it that well. It's like opposing sevens. Yeah, it's opposing sevens. Uh, we're, we're now getting way off the subject, but maybe not because it's all about branding. And you know, Gavin is never in my office. If you asked him what I do, he probably couldn't tell you. But uh, we were taking a walk one Sunday morning, and he wanted to talk to me about his brand. And I said, sure, <laughs> can't wait to hear it. And this whole thing was, you know, when a skater skates, he's risking his his health because it's a dangerous sport, but he's also risking, um, there, he's taking social risks because it, in many places it's illegal. And he wants to create this sort of brand that acts as this guardian angel, that's the words he used, like a guardian angel that would protect the skater and yep. it was his understanding that the number seven is not only a lucky number, but also it has spiritual connotations. And so I said, where'd you get that from? Well, he, every Monday night he goes to skate church. It's a, it's this church in town that hosts a, all the skaters come and skate in, in this indoor skate park. But, you know, for a half an hour during those three hours, they need to, stop and do a little bit of praying and Bible study. So there's a there's a over a hundred kids there that are uh that are radical skaters. I mean long hair, beanies, whatever, you know, they're totally into the culture, but they're also church kids. And um so Gavin just started through osmosis picking up on this stuff. So I did a Wikipedia search of the number seven and sure enough, I mean it there's a lot of spiritual and holy ramifications to that number. So these two sevens side by side sort of act as this talisman um, that protects the skater. I just, you know, it's not just a 10-year-old naive um, idea. It it actually has some some legs because we've been to about a dozen skate shops here in Portland 
and presented the idea, showed some preliminary artwork, and they all placed orders to carry his boards. So what? You know, yeah. Go figure, right? So, so you must be you must be so proud, and obviously the DNA is being passed down, huh? Well, it's you know his DNA clearly comes from his mother. If you met his mother, you'd know. But uh, you know we homeschool we homeschooled our kids, so this this is more part of just homeschool schooling and showing them how to build a, an idea from beginning to end. If this thing makes money, I, I'd be blown away by it. But um, right now we set up the little company. It's Sort of a nice little way to write off some dinners that we're taking on behalf of Seven Seven, and uh, I hope the IRS is not listening to this conversation. And, and <laughs> <laughs> make a ten-year-old kid feel, you know, feel like he's got something, and that's important. Well, you, well, you know, I got, I got, I got to say that, you know, I, I'm, ho- I'm hoping that you'll tell him that we talked about his brand, we mentioned it by name, we described his logo. I mean, this is. <laughs> This is some a little bit of PR for your son, and we're happy to be there for for him oh, because cool. uh, we love his dad. Excellent. That is well, thank you. That is, and Mark, just on a very personal note, sorry to take a little bit of public time for this, but that is really encouraging uh, to myself, the the father of a couple of boyos my, myself, and it's, it's really encouraging to hear a father that active uh, in his son's uh, raising, upbringing, and uh, just general learning about the world itself. That is spectacular to see. That there's a reason you're married for thirty plus years. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, I I have I'm blessed here at home. I got a good situation, and um, you know, my other three kids are um, very very different. He's the fourth, the last, and possesses this you know creative take on on things. But you know what's really interesting, guys, is like he will continually ask me um, pretty much every night when I come home. He will have like walked over to Powell's Books, which is just two blocks away. Um, and if anybody's ever been to Portland or heard of Powell Books, you'd know this is uh, um, a legendary bookstore that's massive in size. And he'll present things to me, and he'll always say to me, Dad, is this appropriate for for 7-7? Now, that's a fundamental thing that seems to be inherent in him without any education that seems to be always missing from the real estate conversation, is how things, how decisions are made. And in his world, he doesn't he doesn't want to make decisions based on what he likes or doesn't like. His question keeps asking the question he keeps asking is this is this appropriate for seven seven? And that really gets to the heart and core of decision making regarding whether it's production value on video, production value on your website, or even down to the voicemail you leave on your phone when you don't answer it and I listen to what your voice is telling me, is is everything you do supportive of what you claim to be? Um, and I think that in answering the question of whether you should do high production or low production or whatever, it's not about which camp you subscribe to. I think the question you should be asking is the same one my son is asking. Is this appropriate for me, and does it represent me and my company in the way that it should be? And I think therein lies the best answers to every question you may ever have about anything that, that comes up in your business. Should I recruit this agent to join my firm? Well, it's just, would, would he or she best represent us? Should I buy this technology? Should I go to this um, event? Should I, should I, whatever question you have is answered by the same set of protocols, and that's what you know, brand guys call branding. The more you create a consistent flow of decisions that result in things that are all connected, then you've created this outward expression that defines you, and if you do it long enough, hard enough, smart enough, and consistent enough, then the world outside begins to describe you by the same way you describe yourself, and then you really have something special there. Well, I think you hit the nail right in the head there, and and, and I'm going to I'm going to commit the sin that you referenced earlier by saying I wrote a blog post last week, <laughs> and 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 it was basically uh, I I was doing my best to channel Mark Davison. I don't know if you know him or not. He's a pretty smart guy, but I was doing my best to channel him on this topic of production value, and um and 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 made a very similar point, and I, and I think it really is the key point, which is. Everything you do needs to be consistent. So you're right. It isn't about you know subscribing to a camp. 
it is subscribing to your own personal philosophy of what you're trying to convey to the public, to your potential clients, to the world at large, to your peers, to everyone, to the people you work for, to the people you work with. What do I stand for? And, and I think what, what we see consistently, or maybe that's, maybe that's too harsh, what we see frequently is somebody that drives a nice car, they dress well, they're professional people, they have a good business, they're well-respected, and they're putting out that 10-year-old could-do-it video. And so it's like, you know, there's a fairly narrow range of production value across all these different things in terms of wardrobe and speech and website even. And, and it's that lack of consistency. And I don't know what it is, but it seems like people have just carved out this special this special niche or niche, however you pronounce that word, which is production value doesn't count so much right here. Everywhere else in my life it kind of matters, but it doesn't really matter right here. And maybe it's because it's perceived as an emerging technology, and so therefore people are more forgiving of a lack of expertise because it's an emerging technology. But but you, that's, that's, all that was to say, you, yeah, nailed, you hit the nail right in the head. Yeah, it's irresponsible. And so I don't know why folks do it. Um, they've made That's the determination they've made for their own particular brand. If someone's a coach or a speaker or, or a blog writer and they've been writing about, um, let's say they've been on a, on, a, on a topic for two years, they have a specialty, let's say it's SEO, and all of a sudden they come out on, with a stand on social media or a stand on video. Um, what I find, see, I find that less um, odd then what I, what I find really odd are people who would then read that and go, oh, this guy says low production, I'm just going to follow him, without ever doing a little bit more detailed research to see if that person's opinion even has any like sort of basis in any experience that they've ever had doing this. Um, so like I think it's okay for anybody with an opinion to stand on a stage and offer their opinion. There's nothing wrong with anyone. And I want to be clear about this. There's nothing wrong with anybody offering their opinion about how they think you should do video. The problem doesn't lie with them. The problem lies with you, the audience, who sits there and goes, all right, I like him, so I'm going to just listen to what he has to say. Um, it might make sense to maybe type his name into LinkedIn or Wikipedia or go to his website and just take a look at his background or her background and or experience to see if there's like, a basis for that theory or that philosophy or that sensibility that they're imparting. Otherwise, it's just an opinion. And if you're making business decisions about you and your brand based upon some speaker's or writer's opinion, that's what I find more consistent in real estate. Um, and um, so really, while I think that speakers or writers should be more responsible, knowing that that's the case, um, Everybody's trying to make a living, and if you could sell an extra five hours of coach consulting because you've now turned somebody on to your opinion about video, you're entitled to do that. Um, but this is really more about the practitioner, the real estate person who thinks, okay, today I'm going to become a video person and start shooting video. Um, that's fine and dandy, but if you're just doing it to do it, and not thinking in terms of how does this make me look, how does this really help what it is I'm filming, if I'm filming a home or I'm filming a community, does this rise above the roof? I think, Michael, you mentioned this earlier. Just to create something ordinary and have it sit in YouTube with nine views, it's good that you said you did it, but, like, what have you really gotten from that exercise? As opposed to having a video that's been viewed 250,000 times and passed around virally around the world and gotten phone calls from people that said, wow, what you've done is very unique, and I want you to do that for me, or I want to learn more about you. I think that's what agents really want, um, and I think that's the sort of stuff that needs to be pushed further, and I'm not hearing enough of that. Um, there are a few folks, Matthew, for instance, is very strong um, and has very strong convictions about quality, quality content, quality production, and as a result, like just look at, Look at the results. Um, you don't hear about too many mediocre videos that are getting a whole lot of local attention, let alone national attention. Um, so, listen, man, it's, it's not just video. It's 
It's the guy that wears the nice clothes and drives the Mercedes Benz and has all the latest tools and technologies and, and then hacked his own WordPress website. And it's got, you know, and it looks like a 10-year-old designed it. Like, the bigger question is why do real estate professionals, entrepreneurs, always gravitate towards building things on their workbench or spending the least amount of money to buy the cheapest thing possible and go out to the world with that? I don't know the answer to that. Well, actually, I have some theory. Yeah, and I have some okay. theories, but I won't. I won't waste the uh, you know the the valuable time sharing those with you because they're probably common sense and everybody would think of them. But I think you may, you really raise great points, and and um, you know this is why we love having you on the show because you bring such knowledge, and this is such a big part of your expertise and your thinking. And uh, you know we just we just uh, so appreciate your sharing these thoughts and. I don't mean to pull us off this topic, but we only have uh, 14 minutes yeah, left, and we've only covered one of our topics. This always happens with you. Um, but we, I wanted to shift the conversation just a little bit, if it's okay with you, and and I wanted to just get some thoughts on what's new at Thousand Watt. What's what are you guys focused on right now? What's your what's on your agenda? Anything that you could share with the public? Um, well, you know, we're just thank you for asking. Um, uh, but I, I am going to not answer that question for a second because <laughs> I, I feel like there's one more thing I do want to say on this topic. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, my fa- my father managed some big-time celebrities throughout his career. These are individuals who maybe did some did they did a, they had a different occupation than a real estate agent, but just like an agent is their own you know in their own business doing their own thing, marketing themselves. So are singers and comedians and the kinds of folks my dad managed. And I remember one conversation, distinct conversation, between my father and Sammy Davis Jr., where they spoke for almost an hour and a half about the clothing that Sammy should wear during a photo shoot. And, like, even as a kid, I just became enamored with the whole idea of really thinking through every single thing you do that makes you, that presents you in the best possible light that you've built around yourself so people see that consistency and that's become I've just grown up with that so while my opinions may seem very strict um, and confined to that sensibility it's I've seen that play acted out inside of very successful people so that's what I model in my profession and I, I want that for agents I want them to be successful and move beyond the typical what everyone else can do. Now, as far as my firm, um, we're, this is what we do for companies. Um, and we are very active uh, in the representation of a lot of different things within real estate, helping companies articulate and communicate their value proposition to their constituents, whether it's consumers or whether it's the real estate industry. Um, and uh, it's exciting work. It's fun work. We work with a lot of cool companies that really have their heads screwed on straight in terms of really trying to differentiate themselves. Um, we're also, we've noticed um, sort of a lack of certain useful tools that agents, we believe that agents um, could could have and or need to be able to also better articulate and communicate the value proposition. So for the last you know, back in 2007 when Brian and I were sitting around uh, having a beer and talking about what we're going to do next, um, we uh, we thought about, we came up with an app idea, and that was 2007. But the technology wasn't really available yet for our app to do what we needed it to do. So we've kind of been waiting four years for things to come together, including the industry, to the industry to grow into uh into a comfort zone with apps and technology. So we're about to launch um, an application that's going to help agents better communicate what they know about the marketplace um, in something very, very different than than has ever been out there before. Um, So we're in the final stages of bringing this baby to birth. And uh, it's an insane week because we want to present it at Connect and um, it's not ready yet, quite. And knowing us, you know, we want to present something really meticulous and bug-free. Um, 
And uh, But that's exciting because this is the first of about a dozen applications that we've whiteboarded out that we want to build over the next two years. Um, so we feel like, you know, our 1,000 Watt was designed to be a very simple concept. We believe that there's that the real estate industry is a wonderfully brilliant industry with a lot of great intent, and we just want to help turn that light switch on inside of companies all over the place. Um, we also want to turn on opportunities. So that's our brand. And building things or providing consultative um, uh, relationships with clients, it's all part of the same thing, just creating things that will help real estate people uh, sort of turn that light back on inside their firm, inside their brand, and showcase it out to the world. So we have a nice two-year plan in place to roll out some stuff, and um, it's going to be exciting, Michael and Todd, to see if we, as the shoemaker, can actually make nice shoes for ourselves and market ourselves <laughs> and brand ourselves. Believe me, there's a lot of pressure on us to, to nail our own stuff. Um <laughs> Uh, so, Mark, I suspect that you are not going to take the Microsoft approach, and um, if it's good enough, put it out there, you know, put it to print, so to speak, uh, and then uh, throw out a whole bunch of upgrades shortly after it's released, right? <laughs> well, you know, Todd, that's interesting because I think that um, to some degree into a fault of ours, we built this first product inside of the bubble. Um mm -hmm. And so we've created a product for agents based on what we think they need, but we are cl clearly understand that once we have users start using it, they're going to come up with a whole lot of things that we hadn't thought about that would make it better. Mm -hmm. um, but we embrace that. In fact, you know, we have an alpha test planned. Um, we've invited folks to become part of that initial ideation process to tell us what we've missed so that we can mm – -hmm try to infuse that into the product. But we do foresee this in all of our products as um, software that needs to be oh. upgraded ongoing. And that's, you know, that's sure. some other indictment that I would like to also vocalize to the vendor world. There are way too many vendors who have built products in the past that never evolved them. And as a result, you have brokerages and agents with websites that were built in 2007 on 1999 platforms, you know, platforms built in 99 that have never been updated or upgraded, and they are what they are, and they they don't serve anybody's best interest. And um, so, conversely, we we see this stuff as software that just constantly needs to be upgraded and enhanced. And we have plenty of phase two, phase three, phase four ideas for this thing. But sure. if we don't launch it, you know, if, if you nothing's ever perfect. Um, at some point, you oh, have no. to be born, and you have to learn how to walk and learn how to talk and learn how to run and, you know, learn how to go potty, and this product is going to have to learn how to do that, hopefully with the sympathies <laughs> of our clients and customers. Well, are you, I, are, you, I, I, are you not going to give us any hint as to what this is? You're going to leave our listeners hanging? Um, well, you can go to HowStheMarket.com, which is sort of a landing page for the idea, but essentially agents inside their head have pretty much a grand idea of what's going on in the market. They don't need data. They don't, not that they don't need data, but they don't necessarily, if I stopped you in the supermarket and said, hey, Todd, how's the market today? Um, you wouldn't reach into your pocket and pull out a graph or a pie chart. Right. You'd probably just... Actually, Todd might. <laughs> yeah, Todd might. <laughs> <laughs> Todd's like, yeah, thanks, thanks for that vote of confidence. Right? But, um, you know... And data is important because data helps feed an agent's intelligence. But an, an, an agent wouldn't typically, pull, you know, pull out that chart and go, here, here's a chart, read it, and you'll know. An agent will tell you in two or three sentences, you know, how the market's doing and why. Well, we built a marketing tool that allows the agent to visualize how the market's doing in a, in a, in a way that, it's never been done before in real estate. We have no pie charts. There are no graphs. It's a complete new set of data visualization icons that in, in, a, in a flash of a second, you look at it and you completely understand how the market is, um, which in, and the app will include, you know, a, a spot for the agent to put like a 250-character post explaining the icon. 
and that's it. And you send it to your database. Um, it's it's a nice, beautiful, gorgeous email that shows up in a in a in a customer's inbox um, that gives them the information they're looking for. Uh, so we have a name for it. We haven't released the name of the app yet. It's all under wraps, um, but it's a super simple way that for you could, to trigger this from your iPad sitting at a Starbucks and send it to people. Um, you don't need to have to know how to write blog posts or. Uh, construct long lengthy emails. You don't necessarily need to have a subscription to a data feed. It's simply just taking what's inside your head, what you know, and allowing you very simply within seconds to present it. So it's a marketing. That sounds tool. awesome. That sounds awesome. Nice. We, we really look forward to checking that out, and maybe you can be kind enough to include us on your uh, on your alpha list of uh, of, of testers because we'd love to see it. Um, as as it happened the previous time you've been on the show, Mark, we are just burning through this hour. We now have four minutes and fifteen seconds left, and okay. we always we always like to ha- have our, our guests have the last word. So, what would you like to talk about for four minutes and eight seconds? Oh my God, um, I'm not prepared for that. Okay, would you, I'll just ask you another <laughs> question then. Yeah. So another, what, well, I'd like I'd like to see everybody come out to connect and. Um, Spend two, three days in San Francisco um, because Connect is what it is. It's a place for people to connect with other people and share ideas in person and um, listen to speakers and sit in the lobby and meet with other people and have dinner with other people and really, like, take the stuff you're doing inside your local market and expand it and get a more worldly view of it. So um, I'm going. I'm going to be there for four days. I hope to see... Everybody who's listening, come and find us, say hello, share their stories with us, and um, take advantage of this conference. Well, it's interesting because, well, two things. One is uh, last year was my first trip to AnyConnect, and I still recall very clearly I was coming down the elevator to to go directly up onto stage and speak, which was my first foray into the world of you know major conference speaking, which has gone on to become a big part of my life, and I want to thank you for that because – you had a you know a huge part of, of of pushing me in that direction, and I thank you for that personally, like you wouldn't believe. But I got off the elevator, and the first person I saw was you, and we'd never met before, but I That's knew right. it was you. Remember, I walked up behind you, and I said, you know, nice to meet you, Mark, from behind. And it's like it's just kind of freaky that it happened that way. Secondly, is I'm going to be out there for actually nine days. I'm going out tomorrow, and oh, um, going. I'm going for another conference that starts the day after tomorrow, and then I'm going to have, I think it's like four four days in between conferences to just basically hang in the city by the bay. So I can't wait to get there, and I certainly hope to have more than one opportunity to run into you and Brian and Joel because I enjoy you guys so much. And, and thank you for bringing that up because I think the Inman Connect thing is a, you know, it's a huge event. Um, the two connect, you know, New York and San Francisco, I think, are probably the two biggest events in the industry. Uh, I know you have history with with uh, the whole Inman organization, and you're very close with those people. So, um, thank you for mentioning that, and I hope to, I hope to see you there. Well, we're just readers and customers of Inman, like everybody else. But the one unique common bond that Joel, myself, and Brian have is we all, um, at one time, uh, were involved as either consultants or employees. Joel. And Brian ran him in. He was image president for many years. Joel was their director of marketing, and I was a, um, a business development and brand strategist for them early on. Um, so we all come from that great organization. And, and I think as a result, we've developed this uh, sort of um, unique radar for wanting to know everything that goes on in real estate just by virtue of being tied to the news organization that it was and still is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if I could impart to the audience anything it's if you're listening to this show make this show one of the 10 things you listen to and read every day like just just start your day reading some good stuff um doesn't necessarily have to be real estate based um subscribe to um, app news on apps news on social media news on just general news like just tap into there's some great publications, even within real estate. Steve Harney writes an amazing uh, publication. Um, it's, I think it's the KCM. Um, 30 seconds, and, Mark. Uh, okay, yeah. I mean, just like feed, feed your mind. And, um, you know, all the accolades, Michael, that you 
uh, lay on me is, is, you know, definitely makes me blush. But I, I think I am what I am because I just try to absorb a lot of information every day. And I can't comprehend it all. I can't absorb it all. A lot of times I'm scanning, but I find that I just pick up what I need to know. And, and, and all the information is out there. There are no secrets to anything. Um, well, just feed we, your mind and, and you'll be good. Well, thank you again. Um, we're, we're out of time, but we just wanted to thank you one more time for coming on with us. It's such an honor to have you every time you're here. And I hope that someday I'll say, this is the 20th visit for Mark on our show. So uh, oh, we just appreciate you. Know. We appreciate you so much and look forward to seeing you in San Francisco uh, next week. Ditto, vice versa. You guys are amazing. Thanks so much, and I'll see you uh, next week. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.